You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Morning again, Redemption. Um, if you came in on Timberside, then you saw our new water feature. <laughs> I told someone earlier I felt like moved by the spirit of the, the passage this week to go out there with a battle axe and sorry, no. Um, yeah, good morning. So Weirdly enough, religion is like in vogue a little bit these days, Um, right? I I get that we're more spiritual than ever and probably less religious than ever, but there seems to be like a little bit of a a swing in the pendulum. I listened to a podcast this week that was talking about the demise of the new atheist, uh, right? Y'all remember the new atheist from like 2010, the God delusion and God is not great, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and these guys that had proven that there is no God and you know, if you were 16 and you, like, had access to YouTube, then you also were an atheist because, do check out this clip. Oh, my gosh. Um, right, so what, what ended up happening was apparently there was an elevator incident where one new atheist who was a female had just gotten done talking about the dangers within new atheism of, like, patriarchy and misogyny. Uh, so she gets on an elevator, and she's going up to her hotel room, and she's then propositioned by another new atheist. So then the next day, she puts out like a tweet like, hey, I can't believe that I just got done talking about misogyny and sexism and all this in our community and how it's a problem, and then was propositioned, and the new atheism began to implode on itself as people began to take sides on the issue and then other issues, and we should be for social justice, and no, we shouldn't, and black lives matter, and no, they don't. And doesn't this sound really familiar, church? And the new atheists who are rallied around the idea that religion is the cancer um, in society have found out, oh wait, there's other cancers here too that are devouring us. Um, Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. Other than like, yeah, there's this swing and religion is now all of a sudden like, oh wait, wait a minute, there's something maybe here that we as human beings need. And so with the combination of our growing sense of disunity arising in uh, the mental health crisis and then the loneliness epidemic, many are pointing to religious involvement as the cure. Various recent research studies have begun to show that participation in regular religious activities of any kind contribute to overall human flourishing. That with participants um, who are actively involved in like regular church or mosque or religious type gatherings live longer, happier, and healthier lives in general. These studies point out that um, regardless of the faith, regardless even of the personal's individual belief or not belief, just showing up and doing the thing 
leads them to a longer, happier, healthier life with more meaning. So it might strike you as odd to hear me, a religious professional, semi-professional maybe, I don't know, it depends on your opinion, but say these words that I'm actually very deeply convinced of. Religion isn't enough. In fact, I would go a step further. Our gathering together isn't enough. Our togetherness in and of itself is not enough. Our singing is not enough. Our hub groups are not enough. Our togetherness, our religion, our whatever you want to call it, is not enough. We might need something different, something else. In fact, if you think about it, what makes what we're doing right now so different than what they're doing a couple blocks away on Kirby right now as they stand out in a parking lot, drink some beers, and eat some hot dogs? That sounds way more fun, if I'm honest. Y'all are laughing a little too hard at that. Okay, simmer down. No, it really does actually sound way more fun. Um, What makes what we're doing this morning, our being together, our participation, different than showing up to a mosque or an AA meeting or a Christian nationalist rally for all uh, it's worth? I believe that there is something profound about our togetherness, but it is not our togetherness that is in and of itself profound. That there is something else happening, something deeper, something that we need. I think that we, the thirsty, can actually really encounter living water in our togetherness, but it is not because of our togetherness that we are encountering living water. It's because who is among us when we gather? So the answer is our common commitment or interest, depending on where you're at, right, to following Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. And out of the believer's heart will flow springs of living water. And then the the gospel writer, John, goes on to explain, and that living water that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament spends a good chunk of time fleshing out how the Holy Spirit, who indwells the community of God, the people of God, works in the lives towards the redemption of the people in that community, but also the redemption of the world. And the peace of this... Like the the thing that we make really complicated when we talk about redemption and salvation is actually can be made really simple. We talked about this last week. We were made to love and to be loved. We were made to know and to be known. We were made for love. And so what God is doing in the person of Jesus by the power of his spirit is he is resurrecting dead lovers. He is reigniting our hearts and knitting us together in this really fancy word, communion. And I like the really fancy word, and I refuse to let go of the really fancy word because there's something deep and rich about its fanciness. Connection just doesn't quite really get there. I can have connection at a networking event. I can have connection on Facebook. But communion, deep, robust, life-changing communion, that's different. It's love. It's deep love. It's real love. It's divine love. And it's what you and I were made for and what Jesus Christ is restoring in us as a community 
even as we gather. God is making all things new. The New Testament also goes on to say that, and God is reconciling all things to Christ. This reconciling is communion, reconciling to Christ, in Christ, for Christ, by Christ. It's communion. But what we have done, not we as in like you guys, shame on y'all, but like what we have done in America, shocker, a nation founded on personal liberties and individualism uh, takes its religion and turns it into one of personal liberties and individualism, right? We should not be shocked by this. You should not feel guilty or shamed about this. This is the world you were born in, the world that we exist in, and so what we end up doing is we individualize that communion. That communion with God is just about communion with God, but Jesus insists, no, no, communion with God is also communion with others. You want to encounter me? You're going to encounter me through my spirit who dwells in the community. You want to find God on earth? It's in his people. Now, we have to be careful here. We cannot confuse his people for God. We are not God. Well, maybe I am. I don't know about y'all, but... Okay, thank you all. Y'all laughed. This is going to be on some Spotify podcast somewhere, and someone's going to be like listening in their car, and they're like, what is this church, the heresy? We are not God. Like, can we just take a moment? Can we take a deep breath and breathe that in? God is holy other than you. You are not God, and God is not expecting you to do his work for him. You are not responsible for the salvation of the world, my friends. We can't even get our own lives in order. Like, I can't even keep, we can't even keep our dishes cleaned, right? (laughs) Salvation of the world is not happening. We are not responsible for the work of God. We are responsible for showing up and following Jesus and letting God's spirit work in us and through us. I am all off my notes here, y'all. It's fine. So this spirit, this living water that dwells within the people of God is the unifying and transformative presence of God in the world. This is what makes us different from what's going on at Kirby. This is what makes us different, I believe, than what's going on in any other religious gathering in the world. This is what fundamentally makes us different than the Christian nationalist rally. It's not that they're on the wrong side of history and we're on the right side of history. It's that the Spirit of God, if we are actually following Jesus, the Spirit of God is to live and believe and behave differently than them. Eugene Peterson says it this way, that the Holy Spirit forms church, us, the community, to be a colony of heaven in the country of death colony of heaven in the country of death. Church, community, is a core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit's for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom in the world. That we are meant to reflect and to be and to inhabit and to embody God's kingdom come here and now. It's why we begin every service with the kingdom of God is breaking in. Because among us, as we love God and love one another, the kingdom of God is in fact breaking in. 
The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it this way, the Holy Spirit is given to us to begin the work of making God's future real in the present. And what is God's future? Shalom. Human flourishing. It's peace on earth. So the Holy Spirit leads us to be a community that does good, a community that actively loves. But but more than that, we have these big things that we're going to do. The Holy Spirit leads us to forgiveness, to confession, to reorientation, fancy word for repentance. The Holy Spirit leads us to week in and week out, come together and remind our heads and our hearts like, oh yeah, there's something really, really dehumanizing that I've likely been through over the last six days, and this moment right here is this act of rehumanization where Christ is somehow reminding me, no, no, this is who you are, this is who I've invited you to be, not this over here. And that is a picture and a glimpse of the kingdom of God. That is the living water that the world longs for. It is a space where we are loved and where we can freely love. God's desire for us is communion. God's work in us is towards communion. God's work among us is towards communion. It is all about communion. Another, this is another fancy word for salvation. We were made for love. This is why Jesus spends so much, so much time with sinners and why he treats them the way that he does. Yes, Jesus deeply loves the sinner, and because he deeply loves the sinner, he invites them into his life and to his table because he, in radical love, wants to restore them to communion. I think about our default with sinners, right? And I don't mean sinners like, I don't know, however you define sinner. No, no, the one who has sinned against you personally. Find that person in your mind. Y'all's facial expressions just changed like a shadow came over the room. (laughs) Who has sinned against you or who are you afraid is going to sin against you? Right, and sin is really just another word for like, destruction of communion, right? We, we think of sin as like this, well, at least I grew up thinking of sin as like this naughty list. Here's the things you're not allowed to do. Here's the rules without ever really understanding what the rules were there for in the first place. A violation of communion. When we violate communion, we wound and we break and we tear down and we dehumanize the other. It's why our enemies are so easy to hate. They're not even human to us anymore. They're them, they're not us. And so Jesus invites us into his way, his kingdom, which is first and foremost a kingdom of forgiveness, which my friends, we could stop the sermon right there because that takes a lifetime of living into. Because I guarantee you that the person that you have in your mind right now probably doesn't deserve your forgiveness. The person that you have in your mind right now is probably deeply wounded and hurt you and affected you and knocked your course off, uh, your life course off in a certain way. The person that you have in mind right now might not even care. Jesus says, my way is a way of grace. My way is a way of mercy. My way is a way of forgiveness. And so we, as we enter communion, are a people of forgiveness, a people of grace people of mercy, 
Author Carolyn Lacey says it this way. Um, she writes a fantastic book about hospitality. So if you ever wonder, like, man, Brandon, you have some great quotes. I know, I do. Um, so often, they are actually stolen from Gabby, who reads things and is like, hey, you should check this out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Totally using that in a sermon. Um, so this was from one of the books that she had read on hospitality that's fantastic. By the way, also, I feel like one of the biggest uh, invitations of Jesus to follow him is, by living, is into living a life of hospitality, where we open our lives and our homes and our bank accounts to a life of generosity towards others, especially others who are different from us. But that's another sermon for another day. The quote. Carolyn Lacey says that Jesus offers grace to us, but he also offers grace through us. His promise is that living water will flow from within us to others. That is, he will extend his welcome to others through you. This is the best motivation for offering generous hospitality. Generosity is not just something we are called to do, an item to tick off the spiritual checklist, a way to please God, a way to please yourself. It is a significant way in which God works in our lives to bring life to others. It is salvation. It is redemption. It is love. So you all have heard the phrase, like we're doing this whole year, basically, on community. What does it look like for us to be the people of God in this world? And y'all have heard the phrase, like, doing life together, if you've been in church any amount of time. And we're going to do life together. I want to be a part of a community that does life together. But my question for us is this, what sort of life are we doing together? There's lots of life that we can do together. What makes our life together unique? The Holy Spirit is up to something among us, something we cannot manufacture on our own. In our gathering, we each individually are reoriented in our worship and in our prayer and in our singing and most importantly, in our participation in Jesus' death and resurrection at this table, at this meal. This meal embodies so much of what we are about week in and week out. And so we are brought in by God's Spirit to live into the way of his kingdom and not into the way of the world out there and all the other ways that lead to death and destruction and dehumanization of us and our neighbor. So how do we actually live into this kingdom? It's all the ways that you already know. It's confession. We give ourselves actual space to be our real selves and sometimes even the messy version of ourselves, we confess. Uh, we'll do a whole thing on confession here in a couple weeks. Please know you do not need to confess everything to everyone. In fact, I would probably make the case you should not confess everything to most everyone. <laughs> but today, we're gonna start a line. No, just kidding, just kidding. But if no one knows everything, if there are parts of you that you feel like you have to hide, there's not a single soul you can actually really share that with. Like, like aside from just whatever about that, like can we just talk about how lonely that is, how isolating that is, how dehumanizing that is, that there is part of you that is not worth loving. My friends, there's a word for that, it's called shame. 
And Jesus sees that part of you, that real you, that known you, and he embraces you. And Jesus invites us to do that for one another also. And so in the right circumstances, in the right place, in the right community, we can openly and willingly confess and be forgiven. It's also about repentance, reorientation. We come in week in and week out to be reminded of like, wait, no, 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 it's about Jesus. That's right. It's about following Jesus. That's right. It's about being with Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. And we worship. And we pray. In faith and in hope and in love. We're generous with our time and our resources. This is what it means to embody the kingdom of God, to be Jesus' community. And it's at this point our Americanism tries to creep in because we want to come to church to consume it. And this is a really unique thing. Like if you look at the span of church history, um, to show up and just to take and then leave is a very weird, odd thing. When we come and gather, we are meant to have something happen to us, but that happening happens in our togetherness and in our participation together. And then when we disperse, we're meant to go and reflect the kingdom of God out into the world around us. And this is the work of God. And this work of God is done through us, but it is not done by us, right? And so what I mean by that is not that you just stand there and God zaps you and like, right? What I mean is the actual real transformation of darkness into light, chaos into order, hate into love, you cannot coerce and manipulate, There are no levers, there's no marketing, there's no strings that you're going to pull that are going to change people's hearts. That's the work of God, the work of the Spirit. You're called to love your enemies, not to change your enemies. The change is God's part. The salvation of the world is not on us, and we are not tasked with creating unity. In fact, I love this. I, I recently heard this from a friend of mine He was talking about following Jesus into communion and how how so much of what we do is we resist Jesus' invitation. And like, unity has already been done. Unity is finished in Christ. We are united together in Christ by Christ's spirit. And so the question is not, is there unity? The question is, will you enter into that unity that Christ has already given us? And so bent by our world, by the empires of power and money towards being consumers, it should not surprise us that we come to church the same way. Tempted to gather in our own self-interest, our own self-preservation. What does this place offer me? If you're new, welcome. (laughs) But a consumed church will quickly become a number of unhelpful things. It'll become a concert. Stop me if you've heard it. It'll be a holy huddle of religious piety. It'll be a social club or a political rally. It'll be an ego-building endeavor that feeds our felt needs, easing our consciences, and giving us false hope and toxically optimistic encouragement. Or it will further entrench us in our arrogant position of us over them. This is not why we gather. It's a funny thing to say that we do not consume church because the height of our gathering is in an act of consuming. The pinnacle of our worship 
is in communion itself, the taking of the bread and the wine and consuming it. But what we do not realize is that in our eating and our drinking, it is the Lord who consumes us. The crucified and risen Jesus engulfs up us into his embrace and into his love, and we find ourselves there rather than consuming him. Consumes us into his story of death and resurrection, into his cruciform way of life, of confession and forgiveness and reorientation, consumes us in the fire and wind of God's presence. And so in our gathering around Jesus' meal, we stretch towards that for which we were created, for love. And in this moment, we embody the kingdom of God in a way that we don't embody in any other moment in our weeks. People living in the fullness and harmony of the love of God with one another. People from different places, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different political affiliation, different ideas about God and whatever, we come to the same table, partake of the same body, the same blood, and worship the same Jesus. And in that moment, we experience the foretaste of the kingdom of God, of deep communion. subsumed in Christ and Christ in us, the kingdom of God. Okay, so I want to leave you with something sort of tangible. Right, cool, cool ideas, that's great. Um, and it is, I don't want us to miss the reality of this. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a weight to this that I don't want us just to skip over, but... I also want to point out like the practical ways that we can cultivate this together. How can we cultivate this communion? How can we cultivate this communion? Uh, I like the way that Caitlin Scheiss uh, put it. She says that community is built by really small things. Acts of bringing a casserole after someone's surgery, babysitting someone's kid, Inviting someone over for dinner to share your life with them. And I'm going to ask these things of people. I'm going to ask for what I need. And I'm going to give people what they need. Not flashy, just regular old faithful. I'm going to ask for what I need. And I'm going to give people what they need. That's it. Now, now, the big trick here is in order to do that requires you being known and you knowing others. How can you say to someone that you do not know, hey, here's what I need? How can you say to someone who you don't know, hey, what do you need? I want to give it to you. One of the, the beautifulest pictures I've seen of this at our church happened uh, a couple months ago. So two Jordans met in the hallway um, one Jordan is over here. Where'd you go? There she is. She's back there. That's one Jordan. So she was great with child at the time. And another Jordan, who is on sabbatical in New York with her husband, um, saw her, didn't actually really know her, but introduced herself, saw that she was pregnant. She said, hey, I, I know we haven't really met yet, but when that baby comes out, I'm giving you some meals. Just a small, simple act of entering into someone else's life, seeing a real practical need that they probably have and saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to actually like, help you out here. I'm going to go out of my way, out of my comfort zone to know you and to serve you in this small way. 
And if you know Jordan Kamir, then you know like that's just who she is and that's what she does. And there's so much of that that I'm like, you did what, Jordan? That's so scary. Like, that's all it takes. Like, look, we can program hubs and we can program, you know, whatever ministry that you want. But if we're not actually doing this, then none of those things really actually matter. If we're not insisting of, uh, on the acts of knowing and being known by others. The other thing that she says here, I'm going to ask for what I need. Can we just acknowledge how hard that actually really is? Can we actually acknowledge how telling that really is? That a people who claim to live as needy beggars seeking grace from the God of generosity, that it's hard for us to go up to someone else and say, hey, I need something. Even someone we deeply know, deeply love, and deeply trust, hey, I need something. That's really hard. But it's really beautiful, and it's an, it's an act of confession. Confession isn't always just, oh, here's my dirty laundry. Andy Crouch wrote a book, uh, I can't remember the name of it, it's about technology and relationships, it's fantastic, it's a little niche, but it's fantastic, really like it a lot, Um, but he says it this way, only when we know and are known by others can we fully become ourselves. He doesn't mean that in like a, hey, you know, go and find yourself kind of way, he means that in a deeply salvific sense. The way that we become the fullest version of humans that we were meant to become is by knowing and being known. It's by love. And so each week, at the end of our gathering, we file down the middle aisle and we take communion, a sacred meal that's meant to form us and shape us by the love of God into a people of love. We enter into communion to become people of communion. Imbued by God's grace through Jesus' body and blood, we become a community committed to one another, whether we like it or not. We become a holy family. We've all got the crazy uncles. Maybe I'm the crazy uncle. That's okay. (laughs) The story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is one that we are actually week in and week out invited to participate in, not because it's like this neat thing that we do to ceremonial check check a box at the end, but because we're called to participate in, in it here so that we can participate in it as we leave. We are sent forth as people of crucifixion, as people of resurrection, uh, as people of communion. Eucharist uses the simplest of words, this is my body, this is my blood, to plunge us into the depths of divine love to venture into that which is not tied down, into love, into faith, words that reveal, point, reach. And at the table of Jesus, we're invited into the deep mystery of divine communion together with God and with one another. A communion we're meant to go out into the world with in hand, a reorientation to being a people who love and are loved. There's a famous theologian that none of you have heard of because he's that famous. His name is uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. We've got one of his books out there. It's this giant book on prayer. Doesn't have, prayer doesn't have to be that complicated, but it's a fantastic book. And what's ironic is so much of the book is about personally, individually experiencing God's presence in prayer. Beautiful, highly recommend it. But he says this. A total turning from concern with one's inner state 
that the attitude and feeling of the church is necessary to be a part of community. It means enlarging the scope of prayer, so often narrow and selfish, to embrace the concerns of the whole community and indeed as in the Our Father of God. Turning away from the concern of self and towards our concern with the community and with God. This is simply put, love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. The Eucharist, the grace given to us as we take communion together is an orientation towards this is a tangible, physical reminder and an invitation into the love of God and the love of one another. We are individually conformed into a people, into a community, into union with Jesus. And so Andy Crouch says it this way, we come most alive when we are in relationships of mutual dependence and trust. Love calls out the best in us. It awakens our heart, it stirs up the depths of our soul, it focuses our minds, it arouses our bodies to action and passion, and it calls out what is most human in us. So communion is cruciform. It is giving rather than taking, of losing ourselves in something larger than us. So what I want to invite us to do, I'm a, we're going to have some real practical stuff today. One, hey, you should join a hub. Two, you should serve on a team. Those could be really easy boxes that we check as like the path towards spiritual success. I'm now doing this for God or doing this for branding or doing this for whatever reason we might think. But ultimately, can we acknowledge that there are ways to be connected with one another? There are ways to extend love and embrace and knowing and being known by one another that are not just serving on a team and being in a hub. You can be in a hub and serve on a team and not experience communion. You can experience communion and not be in a hub and not serve on a team. But seriously, you should join a team. (laughs) But what we do in our weekly groups is meant to usurp the tendency of the rest of our lives to make our lives about ourselves. It's meant to be an extension of what we experience at the table here together, to carry it out into the world as we come back together and we join in one another in a smaller group where we can actually know and be known by one another, where we can actually commune and love one another, where we can actually discuss what is it like to follow Jesus confess, here's the ways I'm falling short or struggling to follow Jesus, and praise and prayer together as we experience Jesus together. It's not really complicated. It's not even that sexy, but it's so, so good. If you don't have that, if you need that, this is why our groups exist. They're not a checkbox for you to be a good Christian. They're a way for you to enter into the knowing and being known that can be so hard in a large group in a really overly busy world. And my prayer for us, um, in the words of my high church friend, that together we will let God do God's work, and that we will expect him to transform every table that we sit at into a table of hospitality, a feast of forgiveness, and mercy, 
as we experience a life of communion. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.